Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. I'm kicking it off Teacher Appreciation Week, which starts May 2nd. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators, they're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Marie Subnick with us, and she is a teacher. Uh, She's a reading interventionist an author and an entrepreneur, uh, which her business is in mentorship, which she will be sharing towards the end of our interview today. So welcome, Marie. It's so lovely to have you. Thank you. It's really great to be here. Thank you, Jackie, for asking me. Yes. And so when we first met, we had this instant connection, and I feel like we're very much on the same page when it comes to what we see in education, but also when we get into talking about mentorship and how that could even be applicable in education as well. So I'm really excited to share ideas towards the end. Um, my first question for you is what was your inspiration to get into education? Well, honestly, Jackie, I feel like my story is probably similar to a lot of people. Um, you know, I feel like, um, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of people, you know, they go to college and, you know, they're asking us, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be the rest of your life? And it's like, um, I don't know. <laughs> I want to climb mountains. Um, and at the time, actually, the, one of the first things I thought about being was like, it was a gym teacher. Why? Because I've always been an athlete, loved playing sports. Um, and I loved being around kids. So I said, hey, I'll be a gym teacher. You know, that's how fun would that be? You know, playing, playing games eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, I ended up going to education. Um, you know, really ultimately because another uh, thought I had at the time when I was a freshman was to be, back then we called it a counselor, today we call it a psychologist, mm-hmm. um, just because really I wanted to help people. I wanted to do something that made a difference. I didn't want to do something that was meaningless. Um, and I knew because of my, my, my active life at that time um, that I couldn't sit at a desk. <laughs> so that was not an option. Um, and so I needed something where there was movement, um, just, I guess, um, I don't know what the word is, authenticity, where mm. meaningful, um, and having babysat a lot, someone my, like the, at the time, um, the, the counselor I was talking to said, you know, well, what about education? And I thought, hey, why not? You know, every day will be different. Yeah. Um, I, I already lo- knew I loved coaching. And so, um, yeah, so. I feel like right now it was a great choice mm-hmm. um, working around kids. So that's yeah, really what got me into it. That's really a great point about being active. Um, I feel like most teachers I know, whether you are an athlete or not, like I'm personally not an athlete. And just from our conversations and talking about how you're getting ready for this marathon is amazing. Um, but I think it's just such an active career. Like you have to have high energy and most teachers do have that kind of high energy that they maybe sometimes can't turn off when they come home, but it is a place where you can give so much of yourself and every day is completely different. And you may have a desk, a teacher desk in your room, but you're rarely sitting and you're usually just bouncing around the class and you're helping all the different students and they have different, 
you know, needs every day and you don't know what's going to happen. So I think there's something really exciting about that. Yeah. So what were some of your early experiences? Um, You were a fourth grade teacher, correct? Correct. That was my first job. So right out of college, so on one hand, I was very grateful, right? Um, To get a job right out of college, but I got it actually two weeks before school started. And Uh I'll never forget walking into this blank room and looking at all these bare walls and I had two weeks and it's my first year. I'm like, oh my gosh, where do I start? And so obviously I just, I started somewhere, you know, got the bulletin boards up, whatever. And, um, and then also I was told that I was going to have 31 students and 16 boys, 15 girls. And so that was quite a year. Um, And I, I think I had, I don't want to say typical, but I know some first year teachers have this experience. It was tough. Mm-hmm. It was really tough. You know, I had someone say to me, you know, that first year, it's going to make you or break you. And I tell you, there were times where I thought it was going to break me. Yeah. Um, I really learned to be a teacher that first year. Mm-hmm. It was like sink or swim. Um, a, a lot of the kids had issues, um, you know, whether it was ADHD, emotional. Um, so here I am, you know, I'm 22 years old, first time I'd experienced all this. Um, so there was a huge learning curve uh, that first year. And it literally took me the whole next summer to recover. Yes, but, it does. But I did recover and I was a different person and a different teacher that second year. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, so that was, um, and I, I had one sort of funny story <laughs> that I'd like to share. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my, yeah, it was that in that first year. So I was Miss McKenzie the first half of the year. And then I got married and was Mrs. Sumnick the second half. But during that first semester, a kid came up to me and said, Ms. McKenzie, Ms. McKenzie, Brian's lip is stuck in the desk. I said, what? Oh, no. lip is stuck in the desk. So we had those old-fashioned desks that you brought down in that little thing that you put down to make it straight, you know, your little yes. metal clip. So he was sucking on it. Oh, and his tongue got stuck in it. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I had, quick, go tell Mr. Barthen. He was a teacher next next door room. So he comes running over and and then all of a sudden the kid goes, you know, with his tongue, you know, what are the higher row? He said, what if there's a fire drill? <laughs> and so later on, of course, Mr. Barth and I were, were, so, were laughing about this. But at the time, I was like, oh, my gosh. So the principal comes up, the janitor, all these, you know, all, everyone, all the, the administration comes up into the room and said, Marie, you got to clear your class out. And anyway, it was quite, <laughs> quite an experience, as you can imagine. Was the kid um, OK? Like, what happened to his tongue? Eventually, I don't know if they iced it to okay. bring down swelling or what, but they eventually okay. got it that- out. Must have been so painful. It's like, what are you doing licking the desk? See, these are the things you just don't know what kids are going to exactly. do. Exactly. <laughs> well, then funny, the next day in my teacher mailbox, it was a little wedding card. Oh. And it said, thank you. And then inside with his hand, with his handwriting, he wrote, dear Miss McKenzie, thank you for getting my lip out of the desk. Love, Brian. And my mom carried that <laughs> note around for years. She could not. Yes. She had to share it with everyone. You got to hear what happened to my daughter. <laughs> Oh, I feel like every teacher has some kind of like wacky first year story. Yeah. Um, I taught seniors my first year. So I was 22 and some of the seniors were oh, wow. 18 and I you even like had, I know, I had some female students that had, um, I guess, boyfriends in college. And one of them was like, oh, my boyfriend's the same age as you. I'm like, I can't, I can't, this is like going to be a really hard year. And I remember having yeah. a moment where I got a lot of pushback. Like the seniors were really trying to like push my boundaries. And um, 
I really had a hard time and I, I actually had to leave the class and get someone to cover it and go talk to I think my department chair at the time and just yeah. kind of like take a break. And then I was really vulnerable with them. I said, I understand like whatever concern you're having with me. It was like, I went really hard on a student who was late to class. Cause you know, your first year you're like, I'm trying to be disciplinary and be tough and they're seniors and I'm, they're going to push me around. So I think I went like too strict and I wasn't trying to yeah. listen to like what was going on in their life. And so we had a conversation after that. And then it was either later that day or the next day, I had a bunch of them po apologize to me. And it kind of set the tone for the rest of the year because they're like, oh, you were kind of real with us. And like, we get it. It's your first year. You kind of are like just exactly. learning as you go. And we were kind of mean and, but you were also realizing you were too strict. And so we had this kind of like bonding over it. It was very bizarre, but that first year is something else. And I yeah. like the big sister too. Yeah. I, so I get, I totally get that. When I have one more aha moment that really ties into why I'm a reading interventionist today that I should share is, so, you know, we had reading, reading groups back then, right? Um, which they, I think they still do today, so, you know, have reading groups. And um, I had a group of kids, four or five of them, that didn't really even know their vowel sounds. Mm. So I remember I was just like kind of shocked in a way. I'm like, and I said to my, asked myself, how did they get into fourth grade? Yeah. And they don't know their vowel sounds. And it really bothered me. Yeah. And yeah. so it was from that point on that I determined that I was going to mm. become knowledgeable about, you know, literacy and teaching kids to read mm. and just develop that passion because mm -hmm. I wanted to do something about it because I figured if there were these kids, there's probably more. Sure. Um, so yeah, eventually years later, I did get my reading license. And so I'm reading interventions today. So that's kind of exciting for me to have, you know, yeah. taken that journey. But that was where that passion started. Mm -hmm. It bothered me that there were kids, you know, 10 year old kids that not only couldn't read, yeah. but didn't know their vowel sounds. Yeah. And sometimes that happens on your career, um, you know, in education is that you find that there's a need somewhere. And that there right. is these specialties like reading specialist, reading interventionist, there's speech therapists, you know, yeah. you can go into more of like a niche part of education and then do more one-on-one -on -one work, which is really meaningful because then you really get to know the child exactly. and get to see that improvement like over time where it, it could be more difficult to really see that with like 30 kids in front of you. So I yeah. think that's great that you had this kind of like this opening of working with kids and then realizing there needs to be more done to get them to be more, you know, reading, you know, ready, if you will, by fourth grade. So that's great. Um, when we were talking before, we shared, you know, about your story of the, the loss of your daughter and how that kind of transformed your life. Uh, uh, you know, you wrote a book about that. It kind of led to your next part of your journey, which we'll be talking about, but like even just transforming the way you kind of look at you know, the work that you do as like a teacher. And so if you want to share a little bit about that, I think that would be meaningful. Yeah, I'll, I'll share what I did share with you when we first talked um, as far as, um, so it was about 12 years ago now that, that I lost my daughter. She's 21 years old. And it was a, it was a sudden tragic death. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I obviously found out those are probably the, the hardest, hardest kind of deaths and not only mm -hmm. losing your child, but a sudden you know, tragic death mm -hmm. that really you had no control over and no, no warning, um, kind of like a bomb went off in your house. Mm. And um, I gave, I gave you that analogy. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll get to that analogy in a minute, but I wanted to share that 
when this happened, I was finishing, um, I had, I think I had, it was a fourth and fifth grade class. I, I had looped with them. I taught them, for, it was the end of the second year. Mm-hmm. And March of uh, 2010. And I remember in the weeks after she died, I was still at home. And I just all of a sudden developed this passion, this long, I this connection with these kids. And I thought to myself, I can't, I can't not go back. I have to see mm-hmm. these kids again. You know, I had invested mm-hmm. over a year and a half, you know, into their lives and they were like my kids. And so even though I was totally like, I was literally in shock, I think a year and a half after I mm-hmm. lost her. So as I shared with you, it was a sort of surreal experience where it was almost an out-of-the-body experience where every day I was functioning, but I just, I wasn't really there. Mm-hmm. Like my body was there, but I wasn't there. It's really just, it's just the most bizarre feeling, but I knew I had to go back and see these kids before the year ended. Mm-hmm. So I went in and I, I spent one, first I spent just the morning with them and I, I shared with them to help them better understand. And I think this is actually a real um, great example of, you know, the importance of connecting your with your kids at a with, with life mm-hmm. life experience and you know I am hoping that what I shared with them and them having had me has affected their life today um, but I, I gave them two analogies I'll, I'll just share one mm-hmm. of them I said what would happen if how would it feel if you got your 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 thumb like sliced off like in an accident mm-hmm. you just lost your thumb and they're like ah you know that would really hurt I said, yeah it would hurt a lot and I said um, but would it heal? They said, yeah, you know, it would heal. It'd probably be a scar. And I said, but what would it be? What would it be like functioning mm-hmm. with not without your thumb? Would that be harder? And they're like, yeah, that would mm-hmm. really be harder. And we talked about gripping things and, mm-hmm. you know, you could do it. You could do most things, but it'd be really hard. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's what it's like for me. I said, you know, I, I can function. I'm, you know, um, I'm still living. I'm, you know, I'm going to live my life. I said, but it's going to be hard. And it's just, if you picture that, you know, yeah. and so anyway, I just wanted to get that across to them. But, but as I shared with you, going back to the classroom was the best thing. So mm-hmm. I finished that year with them. And then the next year I went back into the, you know, another fourth grade class. And I remember it was sometime, I think that fall, where I remember it was a certain moment. I even remember where I was in the classroom. <laughs> a kid had done or said something and I laughed. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, I laughed because I hadn't laughed since I lost my daughter. Yeah. But it was those kids that helped me, you know, it was like therapy for me. Mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. with them and getting me to in touch with my emotions again and living so that was just a really mm. great memory of mine and of course there's many other ones um just being with kids it was the best thing I could mm. do was to go back and be with those kids yeah and I really appreciate you sharing that um because I think in a lot of professions it would be very difficult for individuals to go back and depending on the type of industry or environment you in you're right. in, you might not get that same sense of empathy or understanding. And I think what you shared with that fourth grade class, which was in your fifth grade class, 
Right. Um, they're probably going to remember that analogy and story for, I would say, most of their life. Like, you know, we can remember when we were students, if there was a teacher who had a moment with us or really shared right. something that was very important and it just kind of stays with you. And it's such a great analogy of like losing a piece of you, like your thumb, right? Like you can still function, it will heal, but it's still missing and it's mm -hmm. still going to be difficult to right. do certain things. And that it's a process, right? To now like live your life in this way of missing something that's part of you. And I think that is something those, that age group could really get into and understand, but you're right. Like those moments with kids sometimes can be so healing because they're so innocent. And right. even still at like the fourth grade, let's say like once you get to high school, sometimes it get a little bit more, right. maybe apathetic, but um, you know, in lower school, elementary, they're just so innocent and they really do care about people and they care about their teachers. And I think this story of like laughing for the first time, yeah. in, you know, a year and a half because a kid does something or says something funny and like it awakens you to being like that that side of being, you know, a joyful human again, right? And right. it's magic that that happens in this kind of interplay as you're working with these students. And it, I often have talked about this, like the teacher-student relationship, it's all about like co-creation and we're like learning from each other and we're creating this kind of classroom experience together. It's not just the teacher creating it for the students. And so you actually right. experience that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you're kind of, you're working together. Yeah. Yeah, I was part of an uh, IB school for six years. Okay. And that was very much sort of the the theme or the focus of, of that of that type of education, whereas it was more or less sort of student led. So in other words, I had the I had I had the curriculum, but then when we got into it, it was student driven. Mm. What were their questions? What was you know their takeaways. And I, and I just loved it because then it made it relevant and it made it meaningful for them. Yeah. And like this generation too, and I've talked about this a few times is that they really want to be like asked, what is your opinion? Like yeah. give me feedback, you know, uh, what do you want to learn or what do you want to dive into or what questions do you want us to kind of like grapple with? Um, exactly. Cause then they have ownership of their own learning. And it's not just like learning that feels like it's just being like coming you know at them yeah. um and i think that student-led type of instruction is really where you know education is and should be going into the future and we could talk yeah. more about that even with the mentorship um in a little bit but gonna into my next part and i don't know if this kind of goes into maybe some of the work you're, you're doing now in mentorship but did the pandemic um how is that with your teaching or your your reading um you know, instruction or also just your own like life experience? Was there any moments that well, obviously there's a lot of challenges you could talk about, but even like takeaways or aha moments in this time that we're living in? Yeah, honestly, thanks to me having been in this mentorship as, as an entrepreneur for about four years previous to COVID, I felt like it had prepared me for mm. that moment. Because one of my first thoughts after it hit, you know, I'll never forget that day that, that most teachers will not forget where the announcement was on the, you know, intercom. Okay, students, you know, you're packing up, you know, this is it, teachers, you know, whatever. And, you know, you're going home and mm -hmm. that's it kind of thing. And everyone kind of walking around like frozen, right? And it's yeah. a real like, 
I'll never forget that day. But shortly after that, when I was at, when I was at home, I thought to myself, you know, this is a time where, you know, we talk a lot about in our mentorship. It's not a matter of if adversity is going to happen or if challenges are going to happen, it's when. Mm-hmm. We're all mm-hmm. going to face adversity in our life. Mm-hmm. It's going to come in different ways, different, you know, but so, but, but so, so then what? It's like, how are we going to approach it? What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And I thought this is a time when the, the real sort of, you know, people who have the problem solving mindset, you know, are going to be creative and they're going to figure out how to make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was me. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm going to make this work. And like, even like with those last few months of teaching, you know, I learned so much with technology and I was excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the different things I learned that I could do on technology to help kids learn. Yeah. yeah. So that was fun for me. Um, so that, that was good. And yes, I was, you know, sad about, you know, there was obviously a handful of kids, you know, at least I know in, in, in many districts that it was hard for them, mm-hmm. um, more than a handful, but you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. as far as maybe not having the family environment or the mm-hmm. resources to continue their learning, you know, and that made me sad. Um, but I felt like I, I was really proud of most educators. I'll be honest. I felt yeah. like, I felt like educators just came through like yeah. everywhere. I was so, wasn't that, don't you agree? I mean, yes. I, thought I was really proud of teachers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like just picking up in the middle of a crisis and saying, okay, well, we have to do something. And like, there were places where schools just shut down and you had to do all that you could to just even get work to go home. But like many places, like we just went virtual, like in days and there was this feeling of, well, we're just going to do it. Like we just were in emergency, like crisis mode, like we're just going to do it. I mean, I felt nowhere near the same of working in a hospital, but like, especially going into that next year when we were open in person it felt like we were frontline workers because we're like we don't even know what is going to happen with ppe with like students like getting sick with us getting sick like there's no substitutes like we don't have a vaccine yet like everyone was really nervous and like even at like my particular school we have quite a few um teachers who are older teachers and teachers have health issues and it was it was nerve-wracking Oh yeah. Not knowing. And our school did a pretty good job of keeping us pretty safe. And it was, right. you know, challenging to manage all of that in hybrid learning, but um, it was a safe environment, but right. yeah, like we just, we did it. Like, I mean, the thing is you can look back now and say that was so challenging, but we did it. We didn't just like say, no, we, we give up. We're not going to do this anymore. Like, no, just like, you know, send a workbook home or whatever. We don't really care if they're learning or not. And like, teachers really gave a lot more to their students, not just the curriculum, but they gave their time to talk to them about stuff to really like, I worked more one-on-one with students during virtual than I've ever had as a teacher. And I mean, it was emotionally draining. Like I would leave zoom meetings, like, oh my gosh, like everything that child's going through. Like, I mean, people were just like opening up because they just, they needed to connect somehow because everyone was isolated. I know. And you couldn't not not be one like you it would be easy to say well that's not my role so I don't know how to talk to you it's just like no I'm a human and you're a human and we're going through a really hard time right together in this pandemic so we're right we're going to be there for each other so I felt like there's a lot of that I think most teachers care first and because they care then they're going to do what it takes I mean honestly teachers are true entrepreneurs (laughs) they really (laughs) are yeah We, we figure out 
how to make it work because we mm -hmm. care. Yeah. You know, that's our, that's our why. That's our passion, yeah. right? Our, those kids. So um, can you go into this mentorship program, which you started before the pandemic, but really you, you saw it as this like major advantage through not only getting through the pandemic, but how you're able to have this on the side of teaching as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I really saw it as a, as a, as a supplement, compliment, huge compliment to, to what I do as a teacher um, in my life. Mm -hmm. And it was about um, maybe five or six years after I lost my daughter. Mm -hmm. And as I shared with you, I had really been watching my oldest son um, who obviously lost his sister. So he, had, yeah. he was having his own struggles working through the loss of his sister. And I, one, one thing I noticed with him was um, just a lot of like wisdom. Like he would come mm -hmm. home at night. He had been finishing school at UW-Madison, electrical engineer. And he would come home and we could stop and visit. And he'd, he'd just share these, just really what I thought were very profound and mature thoughts with me about life. And mm. um, that really helped me think through, because even after five years, I was still struggling right, right. Um, to get through it. And, and you know, just real quickly, I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot of bereaved parents don't get through it. Mm. They literally just live in grief mm. and for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. They get what I want to call stuck. And that's mm -hmm. when I wrote my book. Mm -hmm. A little, little side tangent, tangent mm -hmm. is I realized that I really wanted to help people. And so mm -hmm. I decided to write a book about my journey. How did I get through that? Um, and then, um, and the mentorship was a large part of that, getting through mm -hmm. it. So I'm watching my son and I'm seeing him, um, you know, his wisdom. I'm seeing him grow personally and emotionally mm -hmm. um, coming through the same devastation that I've been through you know, as a, as a brother, and I, I wanted it. I'm mm. like, Stefan, I don't know what you're doing, but I want it and I need it. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, he was also developing financially. Um, and I'm like, wow, you know, you're also growing this income. And it was on the, alongside of his day job. And, and he just briefly told me, he said, well, mom is really cool, but I, um, I met this successful couple who were also being coached and mentored by a financially independent couple who had similar values. Um, and really the value of these people is they want to make a difference. They, mm -hmm. and that was always been my value. They want to make a greater impact in the community mm -hmm. on people. And this was an avenue for them to do that. And I thought, wow, this is, this is very intriguing because it's really what I've always wanted. And I've been able to do it somewhat in education, but not in the way, not totally the way I would really like to, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a little, you know, there's, we lack a little bit of that freedom, obviously, true yeah. in the education system. But um, so anyway, he, he just said, you know, we have an education process. You can learn about what we do. Um, but really, he said it's 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 a it's a way for you to grow, you know, aside passive income, which obviously mm -hmm. is awesome, right? Yeah, alongside a paycheck. Yeah, of course, especially um, as a teacher. <laughs> especially as a teacher. <laughs> yes. I've said that many times. Um, but then the, the, the emotional, uh, personal growth, mm -hmm. I was just hungering for that. And so I went through the process. I was launched into mentorship. And I just started literally eating up the resources to grow, mm -hmm. reading and listening to podcasts and just being around people 
who were going in the same direction I wanted to go in. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's a quote I might have shared with you when we, when we talked, but that it's a very powerful quote. And it's been 100% true in my life. Hmm. It says, you'll be the same person you are today in five years, except for the books you read and the people you surround yourself with. Hmm. And I'll be, I mean, I, I was a voracious reader. Hmm. I became a voracious reader after my daughter died. And, and then being around these people yeah and their resources it changed me because i still remember too i had been in the environment maybe five six months and i remember one morning it was like mid-morning and i thought to myself it's 10 o'clock or whatever and i i feel good mm. and it was like it was kind of like when the first time i laughed like i noticed it mm. like i was healing Mm. and it had been over five years yeah that I lived with this and again it's hard to explain unless you've been through it but just a very you can imagine right if you have a mm -hmm. child you can only imagine the hurt right the devastation that it causes but but to be able to start finding that healing was just wow mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so I wanted to because I experienced this so now that's why I'm, I've been a part of this for seven years now is I want other people to experience it. Yeah, of course. It sounds right? amazing. Why not? Yeah. Um, and really, so I, I made a quick you know, little list, mm -hmm. but like, you know, what are some of the, the biggest things that like, that I get from this community that no question should be applied in education is leadership. Mm -hmm. We talk about leadership actually being the greatest asset in our community, in our environment. You know, in school, and I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to cut education. We need, you know, I'm a very strong believer and, you know, we need the strong reading, writing, math skills. Um, but but we also need, yeah. we need to develop leadership. You know, I feel like we prepare kids for jobs, but we mm. don't prepare kids to be leaders. Yes. I was never given a, a clue that I could maybe be an entrepreneur or a leader. Mm. I just never had even thought about it. Why wasn't I? Yeah. You know, um, and I think that needs to be an option for kids, you know, something that mm -hmm. they can, can think about for themselves. Um, communication skills. Yeah, I was just talking about that on an episode right? too. Very important. I mean, and, yep. you know, I think I do think I'm sure there's a lot of teachers, you know, in classrooms that do work on that. I know when I taught fourth grade, I was always getting my kids up in front. Mm -hmm. Me too. I always they do presentations. Always, whether yeah. it was they're acting out something, presenting mm -hmm. something. By the end of the year, my kids were begging to go up front. Yeah. And they and they I, end up saying that it was like their favorite thing to do when they yeah. might have been terrified at the beginning of the year. But then yeah. it actually created a really nice classroom culture because then you get kids used to hearing each other speak on a yeah. regular basis that they, they get closer to one another in a classroom. Yeah, exactly. And so also what I'm saying is with, the, with, this, with this list is, what does it mean to be successful? Hmm. I think we need to redefine that term. I think Successful so. isn't making a lot of money. Yeah. No, successful is being a great leader. What yeah. is a great leader? A great leader is a servant leader. Yeah. A servant leader serves. A servant leader isn't a boss that tells you what right. to do. You right. know what I mean? It's what does that leadership look like? Success means communicating well. Success is time management. We talked about that. You know, I think kids need to learn time management, how to prioritize their time. Yeah. Um, 
and then other things in our community with budgeting, financial literacy in general. Yes. That's huge. I mean, we're, we're pushing kids out in, into the world. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them it's after high school because some don't go to college. Right. Others, it might be after college, but why aren't we preparing kids to live, you know, successfully on their own financially? Yeah. yeah. Right. They I would say even that, say you know, like, right? these should be core classes in a school. Core class. Core class. Like we always think math, sciences, English. I'm a history teacher and we just went from, oh, we only need three credits and not four, even though all the other core subjects need four credits and they can skip it in junior year if they want and take it in senior year. So we always kind of get the shaft a little bit. It's just fine. I'm all about, there shouldn't be four-year requirements for all those core subjects. And we should start putting in some of these classes. Like there should be a mandatory leadership class, a communication skills class, a, a financial literacy class. And I was even thinking, you know, maybe something that a counselor could teach as a minor is interpersonal relations is so Mm -hmm. important. And like, I think this generation, I would have even really needed it when I was a kid, but like, how do you actually properly form relationships and like build trust with people, but also be discerning, right? So people don't take advantage of you, but standing up for yourself in an appropriate, respectful way raising your voice when you need to. So you're not yeah. like someone who gets walked all over. Like these seem like they used to call them soft skills, but I'm like, these are really important skills to be like a functioning human in society. Yeah. There's a book. I think, I think this is a title. Um, everyone connects, but few, or everyone communicates, but few connect. Mm. Yeah. I think that's the book. And there's a guy named Sean Homesteader. I don't know if he wrote that book or a book just like it. Anyway, there's some really good books out about that. Mm-hmm. Um, because another thing I've learned in my in the environment I'm in with this mentorship is, you know, another key aspect to success is, is networking. Yes. And networking is like what you just said. Yep. How do you communicate with people? How do you have a conversation? And sadly, um, technology is another obstacle mm-hmm. that we face, you know, as educators, obviously when talking to children, but that our young people have to have to work through you know, putting down their phone and talking Mm -hmm. and just having that good, meaningful conversation. Yeah. Like the skills of talking in person, but also the skills of when you do need to communicate online, like how to write a proper email in different ways. Like when you're writing to a boss versus a colleague versus a friend versus a family member versus someone you want to network with, you know, like there's different ways to interact in that communication. And I think that in itself could also be another class of like just communicating online, communicating in person, different relationships, what is appropriate when you want to be getting your message across and not being maybe like too pushy. I feel like we could do a whole episode on just LinkedIn etiquette because there's people who do it really well. And then there's people who are like super pushy about their agenda or whatever business they have. And you're like, that's, no one's going to be interested in that if you're pushing it on them so hard, you know? Exactly. So no one, so right. no one learns these skills. They just do nope. it by doing it, but not everybody does it all the time. It's up to you if you really want to right. work on those skills. But um, I think right. there should be a whole, you know, curriculum on I these totally other agree. types of life skills. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. At the very least educators. I mean, yeah. Yeah. If we're working with what people are calling their most precious possessions then why aren't we being taught and given the tools mm. to help help these young people, help these children? Yeah, because like my teacher training, I'm social studies, secondary education is my bachelor's. 
And I think I got a little bit more out of my master's as far as some of this, like more like child development, psychology, cognitive sure. skills, all of that. But yeah. part of like a teacher training program would be whatever subject you're learning. And obviously the education classes for pedagogy, but then here are these other skills that need to be infused in the classroom. Like how do we assess communication skills? How do we make assignments and projects for communication skills or for interpersonal relationships, like working in a group? And that also being part of like their assessment, not just like, well, this is the activity, but I'm really just looking at the product and I'm just going to assess the product of whatever you're creating. But that in the rubric, you could have all these different layers of different skills that you're teaching alongside the content and whatever product they're creating. And Absolutely. that way they see it, it's all valuable, you know? Yeah, yeah. sure. That's a great thought, great thought. Yeah, and I wonder like this mentorship program, we talked about this a little bit. Um, I wonder if something like this could be infused into like the education system, like having mentorship programs for students and like having a, maybe a mentor. We've talked about that yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, we didn't really touch on that. That's not probably one of the most critical points is just mentorship in general. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of cool now that you mentioned it. So I just started at this, this new school, this private school. And um, my husband, because my husband just retired, he wants to serve. And um, he got a call from the, from the high school principal and he said, you know, one thing you could help us with is we met, we do mentorship with um, some of the kids. They pick a project and you kind of mentor them, mm. you know, as they're doing their project. And they said, you know, maybe they come up with some ideas. Um, my husband's a PhD chemist, so he's going to, you know, has some stuff in the sciences. Mm -hmm. But I thought, how cool is that, mm -hmm. that they're doing that? They are doing that, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that, yeah, such a critical need. If we could at least have that available as an option for students that, you know, want mentorship, especially in those high school years. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. to me, that's a more critical time, even than college. Cause in, when, once you get to college, a lot of those kids have kind of decided, you know, not that it's not important in college, but I think especially in high school, Yeah, high school, mm -hmm. um, to, to offer that. Yeah, and I think it's just another role that could be supporting the teacher role, the counselor role, obviously yeah. the parent teacher, role, but right. like teachers are teaching the class that can infuse some of these skills. The counselor is working on social emotional, right? Like meeting with the counselor. There's then we have a college counselor at my school. Then the parent, they could be really busy working or maybe they right. don't have a lot of their own strategies that maybe they weren't taught or have to really properly mentor their you know son or daughter so I think it's right. important like there's another role of someone who's kind of like almost like a coach if you will and like has your back yeah. and is like walking you through not only working on schoolwork and being successful in your academics but just as a human being like how do you work on your mental health how do you work on work-life balance time management yeah. um, again communication yeah. skills all of this and like I just think there's a real need for that because there's a lot of yeah. kids who fall through the cracks yeah. um and we see that, you know, unfortunately in our own country with just so much mental health crisis and then we right. you know, the gun shootings and everything, but in big schools, I went to a very big high school. I graduated with like 900 students. Like I easily could have fell through the cracks. Like, I mean, I definitely did not enjoy high school at all. And I felt like nobody really, you know, like was paying attention to what I was like really working on. But, yeah. um, you know, I feel like there could be this other role that is in yeah. the school system or in the community that supports the school by having mentors for kids. Well, right. So it made me think of something we talk about, and again, in my mentorship environment is, so what are you looking for in a mentor? 
We talk about the three C's. And I think this might come from a guy named John Maxwell. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's a very, he's a, he's a, he's a servant leader, definitely public mm -hmm. speaker. I think he's a former pastor, but he, he suggested that we should look at the three C's. First, we should look at competency. Does this mm -hmm. person have the results that I'm looking for, mm -hmm. right? The results that I want. That makes mm -hmm. sense, right? Mm -hmm. If they don't actually have what I'm looking for, how effective of a mentor are they going to be for right, me? Right, right. Um, and then another C would be character. Mm -hmm. um, do their values align with mine? Um, you know, because that's that's critical, right? They have the same values that I have yep. that I'm that, that I want to live out. Um, so so competency, character, and oh, compassion. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the most important ones. Do mm -hmm. they care? Mm -hmm. Do they care about me? Um, it sounds like kind of maybe a simple thing, but um, as we know, like in the classroom, you know, students know when you care about them. And it's the mm -hmm. ones that know, those are the ones that, that are going to, you know, learn the best and they're going to connect with you because mm -hmm. they know you care. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people don't know what to say. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, that's um, true. I've talked but, about that too. Like you could be an expert in your field and can be engaging, you know, you could even be an engaging lecturer, you know, and right. there's students who are, if they're a high academic student could be very drawn to you because of your intellect and your expertise. But I would say the majority of students, um, especially if it's like a, a subject they're not really into or right. something that maybe they feel like they're, they have some, you know, areas of weakness in, they want to see that you're really like trying to help them grow and be there for them yeah. and get to know them as an individual. And when you do that, then they might be more apt to want to be engaged in your class exactly. or engaged with what you're giving as an assignment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your ultimate goal should be to, to develop belief and confidence. Yeah. yeah. That's my, that's, that's what I, I love that. I think, yeah. Character education too. Very big. I mean, we did that a lot in when I taught middle school and we had an advisory and we have an advisory program at my school, but not all schools have that. And when I was in high school, there was, it was my teachers and my counselor and my counselor had so many students. I like barely saw him, but we didn't have like another advisor or someone to go to that. You're like, Hey, can you help me with this? Or I'm struggling right. in these classes. And then say your parents are always working and they don't really know what's going on. Right. The school, you often could find yourself as a teenager feeling really alone. And I think there's a lot of just lonely kids are feeling like the weight of the world on their shoulders. And they're like, how do totally I agree. do all this? How do I dissect through all of this? Right. And all I'm getting is from my parents, like you need to be doing good in school, yeah. get, you know, A's and B's. And like, right. I don't want to get calls at, you know, from the principal right. and then you get teachers going, you're missing this assignment. This is late. And it just feels like everyone's like coming at you. Yeah. <laughs> and so having that extra person or a mentorship program where you're like, okay, this is how we're going to work through adversity or, or work through really right. difficult times or things that you're struggling with and like how you overcome. Right. And that can just make them so much more of a competent adult, even as a young adult. Cause yeah. I think a lot of people in their twenties feel like they're lost and they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. It just keeps going on. And now even into thirties. <laughs> well, just being a good listener, I think too, is what you're saying. Yeah. I think the most, really one of the most critical skills would be listening as a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. Are you listening to what they're really trying to say? Because mm -hmm. um, I, as you know, I mean, I think a lot of kids just don't feel listened to. They don't. Yeah. Right? It, you know. And I think they see everyone around them is busy, 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 mm -hmm. busy, busy. And then their lives are filled with so much and they're busy. And when everything just feels like rushed and busy, no one's slowing down to actually pay attention. Yeah. And then, yeah, they don't feel like they're important. They feel like they're 
their voice or what's going on in their life doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's hard to be a teenager today. Oh yeah. Really hard. Absolutely. So mentorship would be, I think, so helpful. And, you know, I want to learn more about this through you um, and your son. And also I just would love to see, you know, maybe down the road, how this could be infused in education. Cause I do believe that there is this next era in the whole world of, you know, all the different parts of society, like healthcare, social justice, environment, right? Mm-hmm. But I definitely see a new era of education. Yeah. Um, we can't keep doing it the same way that we've right. been doing it since, you know, a hundred years ago. Right. And it's slowly starting to happen. Like we had a PD day on our opening days about really the focus on like social emotional learning and like really, you know, being this active advisor with like your, right. your students. Um, and so there, it's coming around. Right. Like I think it's getting there and it, change doesn't happen overnight. Not not to speak, you know, negatively about the, the system, but I feel it has, it's going to have to be teacher driven. Yeah. We can't, we can't sit and wait around for the system because that's what we've right. been doing. That's what we've been and doing. And the system's not, I mean, the system's the system mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's not going to change. Yeah. We're, we're, we're the ones that are going to have to step up and. Yeah you know, make those changes. Yeah. And that was kind of the whole original purpose of this podcast was I saw teachers who felt like they have a lot of ideas. They know what's not working. They know what could be helpful, but they don't feel like they're in any position to have any power or no one really listens to them. And then now it's just like everyone's seeing teachers leaving. So then you have probably, you know, people in society thinking, oh, they're giving up on our kids, right? Which would, is not the case at all. Like there's some really broken areas and broken schools mm-hmm. where, you know, teachers have to take care of themselves and their mental health and their families. Exactly. Um, but we do, we have to be the ones leading the way so that these changes can happen because you can't sit around and wait because we will be sitting around and waiting right. for a really long time. Right. Any change that we've seen happen in this country and in this world is from people, right? Like yeah. the people in the trenches of whatever that is going through the actual like issues and like having the ideas to like say, okay, this is what we need to do. So I, you know, my lofty goal from all of this, and I'm, I'm not the only one doing a podcast or a book or like a series of talking about all these issues in education, but I'd love to see a teacher movement of yeah. them being the leaders and hopefully driving, you know, these big Good changes, yes. you know, helping with funding in schools so that we can get better programs, you know, helping to transform curriculum and look at maybe adding some of these kind of classes. Um, And then obviously just really focusing on how we take care of not only the students, but the teachers, (laughs) they need, they need support because it's really been, um, you know, they feel like they're very broken after this time period. I know. Well, good for you, Jackie. I really, really respect what you're doing. I think it's awesome. You know, and and as in everything, just like training for this marathon, yeah. you know, it's, I tell everybody, you know, it's, it's one step at a time. Yeah. It's one day at a time. It's one person at a time. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it can look overwhelming because yeah. it is actually when you think of the education system, but it's, so you just have to look at, you know, today, each person and start making a difference in what you can yeah. do. What can you do today to start? Um, Cause that's really how, you know, I think anything great does start. Mm-hmm. It you know, starts with one thing, one, yeah, thing one time, step, one step at a time. 
Well, thank you so much, Marie. This has been a lovely conversation and it's really exciting to hear what you're doing in this mentorship program. And I'm very excited to learn more about it. Um, where can our listeners find you? Any information that I can add in the show notes, uh, contact information or where you're really present? Yeah, in fact, um, if you don't mind me sharing. So mm -hmm. first of all, if people want to know a little bit more about me and my book, it's, uh, it's beyondbroken.net. Okay. So I've created a website. I'm going to tell you more about me um, and my journey. And I have some blogs on there as well. Okay. Um, so that's, that's one way. Um, I'm, they can email me. Um, it's run the race 13. I'm a runner <laughs> at gmail.com. Uh, you're more than welcome to email me. Um, so yeah, I guess those would be two good ways. Okay. I'll add that. Yeah. I'll add that in the show notes and I can add your LinkedIn too as that's well. Say, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Yeah. And um, yes, yeah, so Marie's getting ready for a marathon on October 9th, correct? Yeah, so wow. I'm one of those crazy runners. <laughs> I used to be, 20 years ago, I was an elite marathon runner. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna try to show myself <laughs> that I can still do this one more time. Mm. So it's kind of the, the bucket list thing. So I love it. Yeah, doing Chicago next month. So wow, yes. I have, I have a quote that I picked up. I don't know if I shared that with you. And okay. I think this is a good quote for all teachers, really. By Martin Luther King Jr. You know, he said, I can't forget the first part exactly, but he said, So if you can run, run. If mm. you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But whatever mm. you do, just keep moving forward. Oh, I love it. Isn't that great? Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that. just feel like in your time, in your way, there's no right way. It's just about moving forward. That's the exactly. whole main goal. Yeah, right, great exactly. message to leave us with today. So thank you so much for being on the teacher's story. Thank you, Jackie. Appreciate it. Bye. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye.